Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Roulette Podcast. This is your host, uh, Mike Spraggle, drinking currently Jim Beam Peach. This is your other host, John Lundquist. I am currently drinking a peanut butter milk stone made by, what is this, Badger Hill. Uh, Badger Hill, that's based out of uh, Shakopee, right? Somewhere here in Minnesota. There's a little Minnesota on the side yeah, of the I can. Yeah, I think that's Shakopee. It could be, I'm not sure. Do, 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 do. Shakopee, you're correct, sir. Yes, I am. I remember when they first came in out about a couple of years ago, I had a few other things. Okay. This is tasty. No, I'm sure it is. Anyhow, thank you for joining us for our latest episode. A uh, few things we're going to be covering today. We're going to be delayed covering the recap and wrap-ups of The Mandalorian as well as Watchmen. Yes, we're not doing it because we're late. We're doing it because we wanted you guys all to have time to finish up each series respectively. That is exactly what it is. Wow. Can you believe those lies? Oh yeah. Well, we consider it like that. Guess what? I mean, this is as this episode's going to be two episodes out, you know, on a week-to-week basis and everything. We're just getting back on schedule. I mean, it's... It's been rough. The holidays are nuts, folks. Right. We were going to record this actually yesterday, but John got beat up at yeah. work. Yeah, such is life. Such is life. Go through the housekeeping, Facebook, Twitter, rate stuff. I, If you've listened to us before, <laughs> you already know what the whole spiel is. I mean, if you haven't listened before, hey, just follow well, us I mean, on it's Twitter. Not, it's not like there's new social media outlets. I mean, you know, you can just say, hey, go check out social media. And be, oh, they mean Facebook and Twitter. And, hey, uh, you know. follow us on our new MySpace page. Yes. Uh, I have a Craigslist ad that I sometimes update. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good times. You can be in our top, what was it, top five or something? What was that the thing on MySpace? I don't know. You're giving me a blank look. I didn't have it either, but I know there was a I, I had it, and basically top. Tom was my friend, and then that was it. And he just stayed there, stayed there the whole time staring at me over his shoulders <laughs> and his whole creepy Tomish look. Yeah, you know. All right. Anyhow, uh, moving on from housekeeping, let's, uh, let's move in on recommendations. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go first? You first? You, you go first? first? Wow, yeah. I was just listening to a podcast where they were talking about that line. <laughs> you go first? I go first? You go first? What, what do we do here? I can't understand <clears throat> the whole thing in the face. Yeah, the mask. Um, I'll go first. My recommendation is Immortal Hulk. I've, I've been using that fancy schnazzy Marvel Unlimited subscription. Wow, I wonder um, who's been recommending I that know, for a crazy. long period of time. It's been a while, though, probably because I finally got the damn thing, so you shut the hell up. Um, but Immortal Hulk is on there. It is written by Al Ewing, and I forget... Get the artist. Do you know off the top of your head? Have you? No. Joe Bennett, I want to say, but I could be wrong. I'll maybe sure look later guy. and check it out. But uh, it's well written, well drawn. Um, I'm only a handful of issues in. It starts out as kind of just some single issues. There, definitely more along the line of like Hulk is like a horror character type thing. Um, I don't want to get into too many details, but the first three issues at least are um, single issues uh, done in one. They've each got kind of a little bit of a twist to them, nothing too dramatic, but they're very well told, very well done. After that, it does go into more of a, you know, typical comic book type plot, but I say typical, but it's, you know, still very well done, well written. Um, I'm not too far into the series. I think right now they're up to like issue number 29 or something, so I've got a little ways to go, but I, you know, I've been enjoying it quite a bit so far, and everywhere I've been hearing has been, you know lauding it as the best comic out there right now that you can get for for a while so that's if it's going to keep up that quality for 20 some issues i think i can feel pretty safe in what i have read and recommend it to everybody else so immortal hulk check it out that that's that's spectacular good going yay so what do you have to recommend sir well what i'm gonna have to recommend is that 
with a lot of shows ending, uh, especially a lot of them ending on HBO, the the key is this: is that you got to have something new to watch. So, one thing that just uh, debuted on HBO this past Sunday is a new show from uh, one of the creators of Veep. It is the show Avenue Five. I've never even heard of that one. Well, let me in. It's a recommendation, and you're using my HBO Now subscription, so you might as well watch it. This is true. Uh, but essentially, it's uh, it's about a luxury space cruise ship that uh, is in space. It's kind of like, think of it almost like the love boat in space, except something horrific happens and the of ship course. gets knocked off course. Think about Voyager Star Trek as, you know, kind of a point of reference for that. So love boat crossed with Voyager. Yeah, except... Except where it gets really great is this. First and foremost, you have Hugh Laurie. That's right now your uh, one of your main actors. He's the captain of the ship. You have Josh Gad on there, and you have a bunch of others. The MVP, and honestly, I don't think there's ever a show that he's ever done. I've never sat there and laughed at hard or a role he's never done. Zach Woods is on there, and Zach Woods is just downright the best part of the show. Do you know who Zach Woods is? I probably should. The name doesn't ring a bell, though. So he was on Silicon Valley as Jared. Which one was Jared? I uh, remember he was kind of the tall, dorky guy. He was on The Office as, uh, what's his name, the guy from Saber. Oh, yes, that guy. Yeah, yes. yeah. He, was pretty, he was pretty solid. Oh, he, he, he hit everything out of the park when I watched the premiere. He was the best part about it. So I won't spoil too much of the overall premise and all the story itself. But it started off a little weird, and then once it hits its stride through the episode itself, yeah, I definitely can see myself watching more of this. So just debuted. Make sure to watch Avenue 5 on HBO. New episodes every Sunday. Nice. All right. Uh, let's do some arbitrary lists. Yes. So we went back and forth on this one. Uh, the arbitrary list for today is top three book series and or authors. We had to do the and or author because I don't know if I wanted to do book series. or. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that you really read a whole lot of series. And I don't Well, I do, but I... And to be fair, only one of mine is a series. Well, I've got one honorable mention series and one actual series. Oh, you're cheating. I get how that goes. Yeah, and then two authors, so I've got four technically. So maybe I should start. Yeah, maybe you should, since you got so much to talk about, Chatty Cathy. I know, damn. My first honorable mention is is Dragonlance, just because when I was younger growing up, that was kind of the first, like, I don't know, big series I got into was Dragonlance, starting with the Chronicles. I remember distinctly starting it in the fifth grade. I remember sitting there reading in Miss Finkel's class, who there's, you know, maybe three people out there who know who she is, but one of them sitting in the room here with me, so, you know, yay. I like to think there's more than that that knows who Miss Finkel is. Yeah, that's probably true. But that are listening to this, although probably listening to this, there's no What if she's listening to this? She's she like, maybe. She's, she's like, no, I, I encourage them to read. Let's go to the Historical Society. She is, <laughs> yes. She is still around. I saw her on Facebook the other, like, last year or something, like, some political candidate, like, put her up in an ad. You know, that we can never use that as a security question. What was the name of our fifth grade teacher? <laughs> no, now we can't. Damn it. I gotta go change all mine now. But anyway, I remember reading it in her class, and it gets to this one part where a dragon basically melts the side of some guy's face, and they describe it pretty well, like his eye rolling, melting out of his head. And I remember just thinking, like, whoa, this is, you know, something that was on a different level than I was currently reading. It was something I kept up with for, for quite a while after that. I should go back to it one of these days and check it out, but uh, but I haven't in a while. I don't know how well it would hold up this many years later. Well, 
it's a fantasy book. If it's fantasy, I can't see it ever going stale. I guess writing no. styles maybe have evolved a little, but I mean, if I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll use a good example. If you read Token, like you know, you read like either the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah, true. those are hard to read. I mean, they are, and that he's was like, thing. He cackled like he's ah, I'm gonna try to make this as dense as possible, make up all these words. You have to second guess your reading. Well, and to divert a little bit, like I, I actually read when I do read series of books. Now I read them differently because of Lord of the Rings because I started out reading Lord of the Rings. I started with The Hobbit because for some reason, like, well, if I don't like The Hobbit, I won't read any of the others, which I don't know why I wouldn't have just started with Fellowship and had that same logic. But anyway, I started with The Hobbit, and then I went right into uh, Fellowship, plowed through that, and I got like half to two-thirds way through uh, Two Towers, and I just had to tap out just because Tolkien is just so dense. And because of that now, anytime I read a series of books, I'll read one, maybe two, and then I'll do a couple books in between just so I don't give myself, like, a series burnout like I did there. But, uh, yeah. What's your next, sir? What's your first? Oh, so you're not going to do two in a row? You're going to knock your honor in? I can't. I don't care. I can I know. I'm going to go now. Nope, 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 nope. I'm going right now. All right. So we sat there, and the criteria was author or and or series. And if there's one author that I feel that his collected works are some of the best things I've ever read in terms of trying to stretch what your concept of thought is in terms of you know, how we normally perceive things. I'm going to choose Warren Ellis. Yeah. Warren Ellis, uh, he's both written novels as well as comics. I'm much, much more involved in, in terms of his comic book work. His comic book stuff is just downright amazing. I mean, some of the series he's written that uh, just really have been amazing, like Transmetropolitan as an example, which is ironic with what the election going on and everything. Yeah. How even though that was written almost over 20 years ago, it feels just as relevant today. Yeah, it'd be interesting if you were to do a quick little revival miniseries or something of that. Right. Uh, you also have Planetary as well, which is another interesting twist on the overall comic book universe and what comics would actually feel and look like, or science fiction in general, in a real-world type situation from an outsider's view. Um, he's had stints on both Marvel and DC with... High-profile books. He's written on Excalibur for Marvel. He's written X-Men before. He's written Hellblazer. He's written Next Wave. He's had so many different things, but he's one of those guys that I always feel great just rereading his stuff just because it's always... His stuff definitely feels timeless and always very insightful. So Warren Ellis. Yeah, I can second that one. His comic book is work is always pretty good. He generally has a pretty unique spin and look at most... Uh, properties that he does i've actually got one of his prose books at home that i was looking for for a while and finally found a half price book called gun machine that's a like a murder mystery type thing i haven't started yet but it, uh, the concept behind it sounded really good but uh my next one is an author called uh his name is hugh howie he's written a lot of like science fiction books he's done some other a few other genres that i haven't read of his yet um and I believe he's out like currently like cruising around the Caribbean or something. He hasn't actually written anything in a while. The series I got introduced to him with was called the uh, the Silo series. It's a three book series, and then there's a couple short stories and stuff as well. Um, it's a post apocalyptic thing where basically all of humanity lives inside this big silo that's buried underneath the ground. I think only the top level is above ground, and so everything you know there's different levels like the further down. It's almost like Snowpiercer like in a silo like because everything on the bottom is kind of the poorer levels that's where all the mechanics are and where the people that work on the machines that kind of give the 
the silo, their air, and their, you know, their, their needed, you know, resources kind of come from down there. And as you go further up, it kind of gets a little bit more, you know, as you get higher up, that's where the bureaucracy is and the IT people that run the computers and stuff like that. Um, and there's a few twists in it, I don't, which I don't want to give away here um, in case anybody decides to read it. But it's a good series. I've read a few of his, he has a couple other science fiction t- uh, books and series. One of them is where, like, the entire continental u.s at least is covered in sand and these people go diving through the sand to find stuff and there's more to that of course too but it's uh he does some interesting take on some science fiction stuff it's not real deep so it's kind of a nice you know but it's also not breezy and super light and that's just kind of they've been fun reads and stuff i've enjoyed so hugh howie um check his science fiction stuff out my uh my next choice is a guy that I feel in many ways when I read his book, I feel like it's my voice coming out of his writing. And it's a lot of his stuff is read I've read just because I feel both of us have very similar perspectives. Or maybe the better way to put it is we love to overthink minutia and little things. What? To a, you do? I know. It's, it's weird. But uh, I'm going to choose author Chuck Klosterman. Uh, Chuck Klosterman. He uh, wrote for various different uh, magazines, like Spin Magazine and very, a few other ones, until he got his um, first novel out. His first book was called Fargo Rock City, which was a series of short essays chronologically uh, talking about various aspects of rock and roll and heavy metal through time in terms of you know bands and events and how they correlated to his life and how they influenced who he was. Some of his other favorite books of his, a lot of them are usually either short stories or short uh, essays about just, you know, society in general. Sex, Drug, and Cocoa Puffs is another one of my favorite of his. He has a few fictional works, uh, like Downtown Owl, which uh, follows the story of four people in a small South Dakota town in the 80s. Another one called Invisible Man, about a weird person, a woman that discovers that there's a man in an invisibility suit which creates a very unique relationship until when you realize what people do when nobody's around and then what if somebody was there and you never knew it. So uh, a lot of just great stuff. He has like over three, I think three novels that are fictional works and I think about eight or nine various books of either essays or other short essays. But uh, Chuck Klosterman is definitely a very intriguing read no matter what you do. And the nice thing is since a lot of what he writes doesn't is short essays, it's easy to pick up and put down, just to stop, start and stop and go. So Nice. My next one I won't spend a whole lot of time on just because he's fairly well-known. That is Neil Gaiman. Um, probably most well-known for Sandman, the graphic novel series. Um, also American Gods, which is kind of one of my favorite works of his. Um, Sandman is also quite good, and if you haven't checked that out, you should. Um, but yeah, I mean, just I think the way he writes, I also I'm almost a bigger fan of his short stories. He has... Four, maybe five short story collections out there and just he tends to do stuff in his short stories that he you know that you wouldn't think you could get away with in such a short amount of time just kind of you know going against convention and doing things in a different way and you know just writing in kind of unique ways that you know you don't generally see in short stories like that so uh yeah so check out neil gaiman and all of his stuff if you haven't already my last one is one that uh, in the mid to late 80s when I first was introduced to him, uh, that, that was the stuff that basically said, wow, let's let's read some of the most bizarre, weirdest things in the world. And his style, of course, I would come to be more familiar with him during his more coked out years, but I'm referring to Stephen King. 
Uh, yes. Stephen King, uh, remember one of the first books of his I ever read was the book It, which is if you're like a 10 or 11-year-old and you're reading It, that is perhaps not the book to read as a 10 or 11-year-old. Explains quite a bit about you now. It does, but... Uh, a lot of his stuff that he had, I mean, I, I that was like, as they said, like dirt, after that book is when the cocaine really started to kick in. But I mean, he, he, a lot of the things that we love and a lot of the movies or properties we know of are usually because of Stephen King in many ways. I mean, between, uh, you know, It, Misery, you have Cujo, Christine, you have The Stand. I mean, he had so many amazing novels. His later works have often, you know, become very good too as well. He's definitely an author that's matured as he's gotten older. There's always a distinct style about how he writes and everything, but, you know, one of my, I think my favorite things he ever did, uh, you know, in terms of helping me understand things about writing was that uh, in the um, real release of The Stand, which he did back in like 91 or 92, he, I actually got the hardcover copy with that. And it's the unabridged version, which has all the stuff he cut out. And you could murder a person with that thing. Yes. Do you, do you see it on the bookshelf, John? Um, I see Under the Dome, which is also pretty general. Yeah, that right there, Under the Dome, you can murder. But yeah, it's uh, up uh, second, in the middle, and the far right. Oh, yeah, I do. There's a little glare on it. So yeah, I, yeah. I do see it now, though, yes. But one of the favorite points he brought up was about storytelling, about editing, but sometimes the details that make the story. Like he's, you know, Hansel and Gretel. Two kids get lost in the woods, leave breadcrumbs, find a witch, throw her in her oven. But, you know, when you know the full details around the story itself, it doesn't change the story, but it makes the story more rich itself. Maybe that's why I talk too much about certain things, because I feel everybody needs to know all the minor dumb details. Maybe. Yeah, I feel like you kind of had a slump there for a bit, but I feel like the last decade, maybe a little bit more, he's almost had a bit of a resurgence. It's hard to say. I think the 90s, he had some good works in the 90s. You know, you look at the Green Mile, obviously, that right there was probably one of his best works. You know, but yeah, I, I think he did hit that weird little patch itself, and but then he like kind of refound himself, and maybe I think a lot of it too is like after he got in that car accident where that van hit him and everything, that... Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, did something to him, who knows. That's perspective. It is. It does. My last one I've got is a series, and that is The Dresden Files, written by Jim Butcher. It's a, kind of an urban fantasy thing, which I, which is probably, you know, a lot of you are like, oh, God, another urban fantasy. But this is kind of one of the, I don't know if it's the original, definitely not the original, but it's one of the first ones to get popular. So, I mean, there's a lot of tropes and stuff that, you know, this definitely helped bring to the forefront and bring that genre out. You know, Harry Dresden is a... Basically a wizard for hire, essentially. You know, he's kind of a private eye. Um, and there's all sorts of weird going-ons in the city. Um, he has a very nice supporting cast in it. It's, you know, I I don't know. I'm drawing a blank now to what to say about it. But it's, it's just really well well written. He gets his butt kicked in every single, you know, it's in every single book, almost like he should in a good in a good noir type thing. And that's, I suppose, the word I'm looking for. It's almost like noir meets this fantasy setting and... And it's, you know, but done in the modern world. And it's just, it's interesting to watch him go through it and all the changes he goes through. I haven't quite, I'm not current with the series. I'm a ways through. My wife is actually current on it, I believe, oddly enough. And I think, isn't, doesn't your wife read it? Or did she did, I, I want to say? I think she has. I could, I could be wrong. But uh, it's a good series. It's, you know, something fun to pick up. And the first couple books are, you know, pretty easy to get into and, you know, run through. It's good. It's a good summer read. So, yes, the dresden files and it's well there's a tv show about it but the tv shows eh, a little not quite as not quite what the tv the book series is so check out the books leave the tv series alone yeah all right let's move on so 
Uh, first up, let's recap Watchmen. So Watchmen just ended about over a month ago or so. So if everybody's had the chance to watch, it should have. Spoilers, I, everybody. Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of spoilers there. And, you know, ultimately, it's a sequel to the 1986 uh, Alan Moore novel or a comic book. You know, yeah, which I think was an interesting choice that they made it a sequel to the comic book and not the movie, which arguably more people probably would have seen and been familiar with. I think so, but I think also the themes I feel fall much more to a lot of the subtext in the comic book that are ever yeah. expressed oh, no, in and the I movie. Don't, I don't think it was a bad decision. I just think it's an interesting one that, you know, as they were sitting here, you know, it obviously had to come up well, like, do we follow up the TV, the movie or do we follow up the comic book? Because they have we get we get later points. down. I there's one one of our topic talking points. I'll talk about that because I, I I agree with you. It's a very strange choice in itself. Essentially, the you know summary of the whole series was it's um, 20, 30 years after the events of Watchmen at this yeah, it point. Take, it takes place now, and I believe Watchmen took place in 85. Mid, mid to late 80s. Yeah. yeah, 85, 86. So 30 years later, it's the outcome and aftermath. Society's kind of been changed. There is a greater distrust in law enforcement, you know, in terms of how you know people perceive things. A great ardent fear of technology because of how uh, Ozymandias utilized technology, or you know how technology is being perceived, like because of Doctor Manhattan and utilized, you know, towards greater ends. It's essentially about. It starts with the murder of, let's say, you know, a local. Uh, Ohio police, you know, uh, chief. And then it spawns out to find out that, you know, everything from Dr. Manhattan actually living amongst the humans to the imprisonment of Ozymandias and, uh, you know, different planet slash world to the ult- ultimate, you know, interior, ult- ulterior designs and plans of those who try to seize control of the world itself. Yeah, and I feel like all those little, like, in, there are a couple twists in there. I mean, definitely, like, the whole plot with Don Johnson's character, who's the, the chief that gets murdered at the end of the first episode, you know, like, you kind of slowly learn more things, like, there was more going on than you know, obviously. But I feel like most of those twists, like that, the Ozymandias one, I feel like they pretty much all paid off pretty well, like, once you got going. Like, I think I feel like they teased everything out enough, like, gave you just enough here and there to, like, keep you interested, but not not spoil it right away but and then when you finally did learn what was going on i feel like it it was a good payoff i felt well, let's maybe put it in perspective here is that maybe the reason why this all worked is because there was only conceived as a one season show yeah and, and even Dave, even now like david yeah. lindoff's basically like yeah everything here this is what i thought of if somebody wants wants to come in here and do this, great. But this is this is what I have. Yeah, and for even it. even now, despite how well it did, it's still up in the air as to whether or not they're going to do another season. I think Damon Lindelof is basically like, I'm done. If somebody else wants, like you said, if somebody else wants to step in and do something else with it, you know, whatever. He's like, it's not my property, but he's he's done with it. And I think HBO is kind of waffling as to whether or not they want to go back to it or not. And we'll touch on that a little bit later as well too. Let's let's start off with this. What did the show do right? I feel the acting was all really well done. I mean, casting I think was just spot on for everything. Yeah, um, and I can't think of any of the actors or actresses' names. I mean, Don Johnson obviously. Um, oh, I can't. Uh, something Bassett. I forget her name. Angela Bassett. There we go. Um, I thought she did a really good job. I mean, just all around the cast was great. I feel like the story was told in a really well way. I don't think there you know there wasn't really a clunker of an episode. I feel like the you know the writing on it was really smart and really well done, and they. I feel revealed things when when they needed to, I think. I don't think it was like, a, you know, hey, we're in the fourth episode. We need to reveal something big here to keep people interested. I think they kind of 
they did they did it as it made sense in the story and whether that was in you know the fifth episode or the seventh episode you know they did it as the story needed as opposed to trying to hit like but anyway, that. i gotta make a quick recommendation you, you said like the character bassett i said angela because that was the name of the character but no it's regina king you're, oh there we go you're yes. angela bass and somebody different so that's why angela popped my head is like oh no wait angela's in the show itself I do apologize, and there's a quick correction there. So yes, we try to be correct here, factually correct, and credit people. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it it's almost harder, I think, to think of what they did wrong. I mean, every like even just like the music was great in it. I feel like it kind of bounced back and forth between the Trent Reznor, Atticus Rocks, the Rock, uh, Rock, Rocks, Ross score, and like more, you know, like period piece music almost. You know, like songs you would recognize and. You know, it's like I said, it's almost harder to pinpoint what they did wrong, and that's not to say it's a perfect show by any means, but it, I feel it did quite a bit more right than it did wrong. I, I would say that the casting was dead on. I think the MVP in terms of casting, the two MVPs in casting, uh, first, uh, I'm going to say Tim Blake Nelson, who performed as Looking Glass. I feel that, especially like his, in the, I believe it was the fifth episode, or revealed like his origin and everything, just, yeah. I think, perfectly done in terms of how you flesh out a character altogether. Jeremy Irons is an Aussie man. Just at first, you know, when I heard the casting, it felt a little too spot on. But I think he owned the character to a point that it was impossible. I think to think of anybody else probably being able yeah, to nail it like just, he did. Just the right amounts of like cheesiness, and but also you know the seriousness that you would expect from Ozzy Mandis. Yeah, I I feel that it, the show did a well enough job juggling multiple plot lines, and eventually, I think that was the one thing early on. It's like, all right, well, where is it going with this? You know, where is it going with, like, you know, the old, you know, man, Lou Gossett uh, Jr.'s junior, uh, uh, character, who was eventually turns out to be uh, Angela's father and everything. Grandfather, I think. Yeah, grandfather. So, you know, you had that, that, you know, had its slow payoff itself. The introduction of Lori Blake, who, you know, you know, comes back to help investigate and how, you know, she has more of a resentment now towards the vigilante lifestyle, depending what, you know, despite what she used to be part of. I, you have the whole ulterior plan and how it's just, you know, overall a power grab. Just a, It's kind of like similar, a different variation what Ozymandias did is just trying to manipulate and gain power to get control of, you know. make If you make a, the best way to put it is this. If you make, anybody can manipulate others easily if you show things in certain context. And, you know, I, that was one of, the, I think, the great points of the show itself. Um Score, I'm always a huge fan of Trenton Reznor and Atticus Ross, so no problems there. I think the series length, I'll transition this. I feel the series length was fine. Going into what the show could have improved on, I think maybe one or two more episodes, they could have maybe fleshed out, I think, a few more things. I have to feel there's stuff that might have been on the cutting room floor that, once again, going back to maybe what I was saying earlier about Stephen King, that... Don't change the storyline, but maybe help flesh and fill out, I think, some parts of it. Yeah, I mean, every episode is definitely very tight. It's not one where you can walk away from the TV for 15 minutes and come no. back and be fine. I mean, you're going to miss a lot if you miss an episode or you miss, you know, chunks of an episode. Um, like, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they could have let some stuff breathe a little bit more, but it's hard to say since what we got is, the, you know, the nine episodes, like, you know, had they done two more, maybe we'd be like, eh, they probably could have trimmed it back a bit. I mean, it's hard well, to I say. guess I guess one case point is this. Like, did you really need to have Lube Man? Yeah, he was an awesome character. Don't he get was, me wrong, and, and apparently a practical effect. Well, practical effect as like, well as, um, you know, 
it was alluded to in the whole PD files thing that Lou but Bader, that was him, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was him and everything. But it was an interesting inclusion. But it was also one of those things that was like one of a few things that didn't have a payoff, and you felt yeah. maybe should have had a bigger payoff. But then again, it's like, all right, they wanted to keep it tight as possible. So that's like yeah. one example. Or hey, you had another episode, maybe you could have expanded on some of that. Since. Yeah, and I'm sure going through like. If we were to watch it again, the nine episodes, I'm sure we'd go through, since we're kind of not along for the ride as much, we'd be looking at it more critically. We could be like, yeah, they probably could have done this with this character and expanded on that a little bit, and they didn't really touch on that. And, you know, I feel it was a good length, but yeah, I suppose, you know, one, maybe two more episodes wouldn't have hurt too much. I don't think it would have. I I think the issue is a lot of series tend to always have that number that's between eight and ten nowadays, especially when it comes to, like, premium channel series or streaming series. Yeah. And I feel that's the number. I feel sometimes that some series get too obligated to that number, that it's got to be ten or it's got to be eight. And sometimes there's times I could feel like, as an example, like uh, you watch The Umbrella Academy, right? On, a, watched, on Netflix. Not all of it. I got partway through. I would say that they had that as, a, I think, a 10. That could have been probably an 8. They could have tightened up. I feel Watchmen follows the opposite, where instead of, let's say, the 9 that it was, I felt they could have gone a 10 or 11 and maybe fleshed out. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious that. to like sit in on some of these. Like, you know, did HBO dictate to, you know, and I don't think they did just based on what I've heard, how they how it was developed, you know, did HBO dictate, you know, okay, it needs to be nine episodes, or what I'm guessing happened in that case was more like Linda Hoff was like, okay, we want to do the story, it's going to be this episode as long, and HBO was like, okay, go with it, whereas I feel Netflix maybe was more like, you know, hey, if you want to do this Umbrella Academy, or, you know, most of their shows, I'm guessing, they probably be like, you know, we need 10 episodes, or we need 12 episodes, or we need, you know, X amount, whatever that number is, based on whatever numbers they're looking at. Now, another thing that we mentioned earlier about what could the show improve on, I, I would say that your tr- your comment about the show going from the comic, you know, instead of the movie. I think regardless if you go from the comic or movie, I can see how the show would be very difficult for a lot of people to grasp what's going on because there's if you were to assume that the average person didn't watch yeah. the comic or the movie itself. <clears throat> I mean, it, can it work as a standalone story? It can, but there's still a lot of these weird references that pay yeah. off so much more. Yeah, and I it, suppose that is one that I don't necessarily think about as much because I have, you know, read the comic and seen the movie. So I suppose, and I'd be curious to see somebody who hasn't, you know, done either one of those. Like, what's their perspective on? Like, are they were they just completely confused because they do kind of just plow ahead? And I remember the first few episodes thinking that, like, you know, like they're not stopping and waiting for you to figure things out. They're they're just going. They they're not stopping to explain stuff. You know, like in that episode with Looking Glasses, you know, origin, they kind of just throw the, you know, there's the squid. And they don't really stop to be like, hey, remember the squid from you know however many years ago that started this whole thing? And they just kind of assume that you know what's going on. Which I, I would almost say that it'd be funny if you were to do this, but. If you were to like have a, you know DVD or Blu-ray release of this, have like an annotated version of it. Where at the bottom, like there's remember like pop-up video where you'd have like little bubbles that come up yeah. and say like comments about things that were going on screen. You can almost do that. I feel that all right. That'd be interesting, just because you know even like me that's well versed in the comic and who's seen the movie itself. Even there are probably things I maybe missed. That oh, I'm were, sure, yeah, I'm sure. That like, oh, wait, that's right. That does reference this. Yeah, that and, would be kind of interesting. Little like, yeah, like have a little something pop up on the binary screen. Like, click here, and it, it would take you to like the, the PD files you know, page or something like that so you could read more about whatever it was talking about or you know, something in the comic books or whatever it might be. I uh, One other thing I think the show could have improved on, I think the early episode pacing 
is weird in the sense that it's not that things aren't happening. I feel that it took him a while to start introducing some of the legacy characters of the yeah, series. Yeah, because Silk Spectre, you know, Lori Blake doesn't show up till the third episode. Yeah. Ozzy Manis doesn't show up, you know, either in the first episode either. And is he not in the first one? He is not. I don't think he is. I'm not. Yeah, I don't remember enough. He may. He may or may not be. But, but they, either way, they don't tell you who he is. And I mean, right, you know, you kind of know just. You know, like I said, I think earlier in the episode we talked about before, like the press releases and stuff told you who he was, but I don't think they the show tells you who he is until the fourth, maybe even fifth episode. Right. The only other thing I would say was kind of I, I don't know. It was an extra element that I have to ask if it was neat or not. Was the Lady Trio stuff? It just it was. Seemed, it was it interesting. Like, it seemed like her whole the whole plan there was much more elaborate than maybe what it needed to be on her part and. Yeah, it did kind of, kind of come out of left field, almost in field. Felt a little unnecessary. Maybe. It, it, it felt like a, maybe, and that's part of it, is it, it was maybe good misdirection that, hey, look what we're doing over here, but it doesn't have anything to do. You get too enamored with the big shiny things that sometimes yeah. the answer is much more simpler than what it is. And Yeah, and the fact that, you know, she turned out to be, I don't want to say like the real villain, but, you know, another villain, I suppose, or something. Right. It was, it was an interesting spin, and yeah, it would... I don't know that I would have done it different, how I would have done it differently, but right. But yeah, I can see where, what you're talking about. So, they've already said that this, you know, Lindelof said that this is one season he's doing, he's not doing a second one. Right now, majority of reports have come in that it, you know, that it is going to be probably one and done. There's still some, you know, things HBO's mulling because... Maybe, in all honesty, HBO wasn't sure if this was going to be as successful as it was, and it's being lauded as probably one of the best series of 2019. I, there's a lot of people I know that like the fact that it's one and done because you did something so well, I think, the first time. I, th- I think it was a very well-done series. And do you tarnish it by throwing out a second season to it, which yeah, maybe, it's... although expands on the universe, the problem is is that... All right, but if that like comes across like a wet fart, it undermines what the first season was. Yeah, and they definitely leave it open a little bit at the end of the series where you know, uh, does she have the powers? Yes, does she have the power? And 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 this is another one where the Lindelof came out and it was like, well, clearly she does. Like you know, we we left they left it kind of ambiguous, but then he came out afterwards like in an interview and was like, well, she does have the powers. Basically, you know, like if we if we had extended that last shot another what, two seconds, she which would is a continuation of the complaint we had from our last episode yes. with. Uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker is like you know what then let us no I get in this case it makes that was a moment it makes sense it's kind of like the end of Sopranos was Tony dead or you know killed or not killed but you know leave it ambiguous I think sometimes when you come out afterwards and say you know what happened well even even if he knows in his head like okay in my mind yes as the writer of the show she has that power but Leave it ambiguous, and then just if you're going to leave it ambiguous in the show, then just leave it at that. Even if you know or in your head, which let way it, it breathe. Because I don't think uh, uh, the creator of Sopranos. It wasn't until uh, just only like the past few years that he, you know, revealed what the actual situation was, and a lot of people still argued it. But he waited almost 20 years before saying, "Yeah, this is what happened." And I think that's kind of the approach you have to take: let it breathe. Let yeah. people sink in, and then for maybe a next generation after that, you you know throw it out there. Yeah, and every now and then there'll be something, some classic movie where the director or somebody's like, you know, no, this is what we intended here. But uh, but yeah, I mean, regardless, I mean, getting back to you know, I think that is definitely one thing is you you know you've got Angela with these the Doctor Manhattan powers now, and what 
what does that mean to the world? That's one obvious, probably the most obvious, you know, continuation you could do with it. Do you want a second season? If we're up to me, I'd say no. I think I'm kind of among those that are more... I like what it did. It, you know, it kind of leaves it open. I think, you know, if 20 years down the road, maybe if somebody wants to pick it up again, I mean, if somebody... I think if somebody has something unique to say... I would be interested if they were to say, like, hey, next year we're going to have Watchmen Season 2, I'd be a little skeptical. Um, but if it was, you know, maybe five, ten years down the road, and they're like, hey, we found something else, an interesting take, you know, and we're going to do it, I'd, I'd be a little bit more optimistic about it. You know, I don't mind how the ending was left. It's almost like how the comic was left, where, all right, world's at peace now, but is it because there's Rorschach's journal, which yeah. will, has the whole truth in it, and it's about to be discovered, and... I, I'm fine with it just being a one and done. I, I think when I think they landed it perfectly. And that's the hardest thing to do. I think with so many series nowadays is how do you land something like that? And I think what worked for it going into it is that no, I think it came in under the radar. People were excited about it. They were in the com, you know, who are fans of comics. But for the others, they didn't know what to expect. And it's good when you have something that comes along and subverts your expectations to the extent that hey yeah. this is this is not what I maybe thought it would be and I think another interesting look is that it took a completely different medium to follow up Watchmen the comic book and do it successfully I mean DC's done two three maybe more different oh, yeah. like you know they did the before Watchmen series you know a while back now they they currently just wrapped up Doomsday Clock which was kind of a melding of the DC universe and the Watchmen universe and none of them, I mean, particularly the before Watchmen stuff, I know Doomsday Clock I've heard more bad than good about, but I think that's at least a little bit more mixed. Um, but none of them have certainly gone over like, oh my god, this is a true successor to Watchmen, this is great stuff. Like, they're all just kind of like, you know, either bad to like, eh, it's okay, you know, whereas this comes out in a completely different medium, and everybody, you know, and it's, you know, obviously not perfect, like we said, but I think it's definitely a success and something that, you know, was worthy of the original, I would say. I like to hope and wish that if Alan Moore wasn't such a crusty old prick yeah. and he would actually take the time to watch it, I think he'd probably maybe enjoy the fact that it did maintain so close to some of the themes he has in there. But he's, he's too beer, you know, busy growing his yeah, beard and just yeah, being him. Being that's... a weird, crazy wizard guy, yeah, he's, he's nuts. Uh, what would you say your favorite moment of uh, The Watchmen was? For me, probably, which I didn't expect it to be, I would almost say the, the, the black and white episode where Angela's on the nostalgia and you kind of mm. find out the, the Hooded Justice's backstory, that kind of was one twist I did not see coming any, you know, and everything you learn about, like, his origin and how he came to be and, you know, the fact that he was actually a black man, then you find out that he's actually, you know, Angela's grandfather and just, you know, everything in that episode just kind of, threw me for a loop and i remember you know at, at the end of that one episode where she takes all the nostalgia pills and then they did the preview for the next one it's this black and i'm like oh it's going to be something you know this, this is the filler episode but it and i think maybe with that expectation maybe that's why it kind of threw me for a loop and you know it was just really well done and added added to the comic book series almost to itself i think which isn't as, as well done as the comic book is it's you know that's not something i would have ever expected right uh i would say it was the uh looking glass origin i the one thing I kind of like about that is you're flashing back to a point in time in the 80s, and I think it did. I think the show did such an amazing job with the time jump where it felt and looked like the 80s. You know, you see, and you see this guy that's just we we all know that guy. Hell, I could have been probably that guy in so many yeah. different ways where you're just being, you know, 
taunted and nobody understands you and everything. And you see what drives the motivation of a person based on that. So, so Watchmen, I'd say a great series. If you haven't seen it, by all means, it's on HBO. They also have it available for purchase and viewing on Vudu right now, too. So Interesting. I, yeah, that's why I'm not sure if it's going to get it. I'm assuming it will get a DVD release because there's always money to be had. But Yeah. All right, moving on to The Mandalorian. Mandalorian, uh, eight episodes and... Yes, very well done. I mean, I think that's another one that's pretty much universally lauded as being just great, you know, especially, you know, there's people, and I haven't heard quite as much with this one as opposed to, like, Last Jedi, but some people that are like, you know, oh my god, The Rise of Skywalker sucked, and, you know, and Mandalorian is where, is is what Star Wars should be going forward. I, I would say that with The Mandalorian, once again, you put the show in the hands of creators that not only love the mad subject matter, but know it and also have a, the ability to correlate and have such a tight story. I mean, I, I feel going back, this is why Favre, you know, Favre, <laughs> not Favre, Favreau and Filoni. Yeah, Favre, Favre and Filoni. The F and Fs, they need to take over Star Wars. I mean, yeah, I, uh, the whole series itself, I mean, going into what the show did right, I think. It, Anytime you have a show that you're introducing a bunch of new characters with absolute in a well-established universe, and you have zero legacy characters that are in the actual show itself, and all of them had a good feeling of depth. You only saw some of these guys for various minutes of screen time, but they they made effective use of the time to help get across that this is who this person is. This is, you know, yeah. their motives and everything. I think- and, one of the things I think it did best is that is that Star Wars as a whole, I think one of the things it does really well is that it gives you this big world, but then it'll have little asides, like whether it's comments somebody makes or even just the way a world looks, and it gives you a feeling of like there's more going on here that I'm getting a, that I'm getting on the screen right in front of me. And I think this took like some of that world that you weren't getting on the big screen in front of you and did it did it just as good as like probably some of the best of the movies, you know. I mean, this, it took these side characters that you didn't even know existed and made you care about them in a matter of episodes, and it was interesting, and the action was great. And Well, the best way to put it is this, is that I feel that with Rise of Skywalker, there was a lot of tell but don't show. And I feel that if a show can do the reverse or movie medium can do where you can show and not have to tell everything, where basically just... Like as an example, for about ninety-five percent of the you know, the series, your lead actor has a helmet on, so there's no facial expressions. There's yeah. no. It's all about body language, pretty much. And anytime that you can understand a character's motives through just simple body languages and just little, you know, bits of dialogue and action, yeah, that right there is a true testimony. Right there, like, all right, you were able to convey everything you needed to convey about this character without having him be turned into a word dump, like. Well, my name is Amanda, but my real name is this, and, you know. Yeah, I think it did a really good job. You know, it almost goes back to what I was talking about before, of they kind of gave you little hints and clues about his past that kind of clued you in on some of the stuff and kind of slowly flushed some of that out, and we still didn't get everything fully explained. I mean, we know part of his origin and where he came from, but certainly not all of it by, you know, we got like the tip of the iceberg, I feel. And even the episodes that weren't central to the core plot of what the series was, you got to see what the universe is like, you know, in a post-Empire and struggling Republic being built world where yeah. you, you see that the Empire itself, it 
it almost in some ways it's a weird analogy, but it's like Nazism, you know. Even though that the Nazis were defeated in World War II, didn't mean the Nazis went away. They just went down into hiding, and they still were working and operating. Yeah, but they were still yeah they were still a problem. They're not you know as big a one as they were. Right. They they just had to find ways to reinvent how you know they were perceived. And same thing with the empire. It still has a presence, but it was operating in parts of the universe where there still wasn't a republic reach where. You know, it's how they used to say all the Nazis went to, like, South America. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, and I'll be curious to see, like, who... Cause, I mean, it's even kind of alluded that Moff Gideon isn't, like, the big the big boss, that he's, he's still working for somebody, that there's somebody above him. And I don't know that it's going to be anybody we would know. You know, like, I don't think, you know, suddenly we're not going to see Kylo Ren, you know, because, mainly because he's not born yet, but... And that's one thing know, I hope I the it's... series doesn't do, like... All of a sudden, like, hey, look, there's eight-year-old Kylo Ren. I'm like, hey, guys. Yeah. And, like, he just shows up and he's like, oh. No, I mean, I wouldn't mind, I mean, if some character, like, you know, like if Captain Ithano from, you know, like some character we've seen but isn't, like, a main player. Like, if, if Han Solo shows up, I'm going to be kind of like, okay, really, guys? You know, but if somebody who exists in one of the trilogies shows up just, you know, in some way, shape, or form, you know, that wouldn't be completely bad as long as it's handled well, I think. What do you, uh, what do you think the show could have improved on? I feel like those middle episodes that were kind of the one-offs could have been, you know, I mean, for me, those were kind of the the series low points. I mean, you can kind of watch them in any any order. They don't really contribute a whole lot to the main main plot of the, you know, the, the eight episodes. Oh, of the come show. on. Professionalism. Why is my ring around? What the hell? Um, I never have my ring around, podcasting or not. But uh, I feel like those three middle episodes, I mean, they're decent little standalones, but, I mean, they ultimately don't really do a whole lot for the... The over, you know, it, it was almost like somebody hit pause on the main storyline and went off and did these three things. Then we came back for the last two episodes for the end of it. I had no problems with the middle episodes. I would say my bigger thing is that if you have those episodes, you need to stagger them. I don't think you could have, you shouldn't have done them back to back to back like that. You should have had at least one main plot centric episode kind of in the middle that still try to tie it back into, you know, the main core plot itself. Right. You know, but I don't. I don't have a problem with that. You know, I mean, yeah, he needs money, but now he's operating as an outsider. He's not working with the guild at this point. You know, yeah, you're you're seeing him trying to hide, and once again, it's it's world building. I have no problems with the world building, but I feel that's probably one of my only complaints is that you know what? Instead of doing those like middle episodes, I think back to back to back. If you would have put something in the middle right there or rearranged something which was main plot central. Then I think that would have made it more forgiving. Yeah, and, and make no mistake, I don't think they were bad episodes. They were all still really good. I just feel like, you know, like I said, it was almost like he hit pause on the storyline and then did these little one-offs and came back. So what do you want to see out of the second season then? Because the second season's right now being projected for fall of this year. Yeah, fall of 2020. Um, season two, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of along for the ride, and I tend not to think too much about like what I expect out of things, just because then you just you ultimately end up getting let down. But I think, you know, obviously we're gonna get more Baby Yoda or whatever you want to call. It. It'd be nice if you got a name so people will stop calling him Baby Yoda um, or the Child, as he is officially known, like through Lucasfilm means. Um, but I just like to see more action. I'd like to see, I think, a little bit more of the the background of the Mandalorian, or I forget what his actual name is that we found out in that last episode. Um, 
which, you know, since we're getting Clone Wars Season 7 next month, and that's supposed to be the Siege of Mandalore, maybe that'll kind of give us some backstory that'll be related and that was, to him. I think that was one thing I was going to bring up, and I'll touch on that a little in a second. Yeah, and then maybe once we get a little bit of story on what happened to Mandalore during the Clone Wars, because we never got that closure, they can come back and be like, okay, now that we have Season 2, we got that out of the way, we can tell these stories and, you know, find out, you know, why are these Mandalorians hiding and what's going on. I think a little bit more backstory on Mandalorians, so we can get to know him better. I don't think I want to see, like, you know, at the end of the season, like, here's Baby Yoda's planet. Let's bring him back there. I think, you know, I'm not sure what I'd like to ultimately have happen to, to Baby Yoda. Um, but I don't think we need to have his story wrapped up in, in the next season. I think that can be held off a little bit. You know, maybe see a little bit more growth, maybe literally, with Baby Yoda. But, um, yeah, for starters, that th- those few things there. I, I would say second season... I would love if you were to dedicate almost an entire episode just to um, uh, Giancarlo Esposito's Moff character, just because I, I feel that he's always been such an amazing actor, especially from his work in Breaking Bad. And I think to give him give him some time to the time to chew the scenery, I think that'll that'll be a good amount of contrast that you have on there. I think. Um, it was interesting as an example, like when you had the prison episode, you saw that the, you know, X-Wing fighters, Republic's still there, you know, or the new, you know, Republic's there, you know, still trying to police things. It'd be interesting to see a little bit more of just what's going on in the new Republic side of things are being built. But, you know, it, it's, I, I, going back to one thing that you kind of mentioned earlier is this, is that, and once again, this is who, of course, who, who, uh, you know, who right now runs the entire, you know, Clone Wars series. It's good old Filoni. Filoni. So, I mean, one thing that's, I'm looking very forward to the latest, uh, last season of Clone Wars. The trailer itself, once again, that's what it just, Rise of Skywalker just fails me, is that when I watch a trailer for, like, Clone Wars, like, I really want to see everything that's happening in here. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel that way as much for Rise of Skywalker, where it was. See, you know, the trailers for Rise of Skywalker didn't bother me, but that's one is like I've, I'm not current actually on, on Clone Wars. I never finished all what six seasons or so of it. Um, it's something I kind of need to go back and do. But watching that trailer makes me like I, and I feel like you almost don't need to. And if if they're smart, they did it that way because it's been years since it's went off air. But I, you know, it just came out today that trailer, and I watched it, you know, mm-hmm. just a couple hours ago for the first time. But it, it did. It's got Darth Maul in there. There's Mandalore clearly there. You know, you've got Ahsoka, Obi Wan, Anakin, and the whole, the whole crew's all there, and they do a good job of making you kind of curious as to what's going on. And there's clearly bigger picture stuff going on, but also more micro stuff, like with you know Captain Rex kind of saying like you know as clones were kind of conflicted about this whole war thing because. We wouldn't exist without it, but, you know, it's still a damn well, war that's, you know, you know. The Purge of Mandalore, too, I think that's going to be a very interesting, you know, plot that you're going to have in there, which I think, and honestly, I feel, almost feel that Filoni did that on purpose. Like, you know what, I'll reference in The Mandalorian, but guess what? I can show it in The Clone Wars. Well, and this and... might not even be The Purge. Like, this might, this will be just be the, like, the Republic, I think, retaking it, I think, right? Because I think the way it ends up, and, and again, I'm not current, but I think at the the way Clone Wars ended it last we saw was Darth Maul was still in charge of Mandalore, and we weren't quite sure, you know, and, obviously, and clearly he's not in well, charge there, of Mandalore. Well, there was the whole issue with the whole Night Watch, and, you yeah. know. But, yeah, I, I would say that. There was some things left in there in terms of, you know, ambiguously. I think this will give a much more definitive ending to what's going on, and, it also falls in line too. Is that if you're Emperor Palpatine, 
you don't want to have a like a wild car like Mandalore out there on the table at this point. So, you know, for him to you know order the destruction of it or you know the seizure of it makes perfect sense. And yeah, I'm sure something will happen in this because I feel like the purge wasn't something that happened until the Imperials were well in charge, which wouldn't be you know a couple of years maybe at best after this. But I'm sure something pretty drastic is still going to happen to Mandalore by the end of you know Clone Wars season seven. Um, and yeah, and I'll be curious to see what exactly, and, and I'm almost more interested in this because of the Mandalorian, you know, like, I, you know, whereas before I was like, eh, Clone Wars season seven, I'm not current, you know, it'll probably be cool, but I'm not like super looking forward to it. And I'm not super anymore, but it's, I'm definitely looking more forward to it now because of Mandalorian than I was, you know, three months ago. I definitely feel the last few seasons of Clone Wars are just some of the tightest television out there. And once again, it's just embodiment of Star Wars, uh, favorite moment in Mandalorian, Oh, so many to pick from. Favorite moment I'd probably have to go... It's hard to argue with the Darksaber getting, you know, popping up at the very end. Although I don't know if that's a favorite... It's hard to say. I don't know. It's not a favorite moment. It's an interesting moment. It's a cool moment, yeah, I suppose. Not really a favorite moment. Um, I don't know. You go and I'll I'll brainstorm. Mine's going to be weird, but it's going to be the final uh, episode. Just the banner between the biker troopers. <laughs> yeah, that that, that it, it's always one of those things like you know you get roped into something like all right I'm part of the empire and the empire falls apart and it's just it's just humorous because it's like yeah you know they're they're sitting there doing their jobs but they don't care about their jobs but they realize if you abandon your jobs that essentially yeah. you're gonna probably get killed so that and just a hitting a baby Yoda and yeah. Or them target practicing with the shitty guns and <laughs> and missing every single damn time until IG88 comes in or IG88 IG11. Especially in like Sadekas, it's like you know, right? Scout troopers like shaking the gun as I'm like, uh, <laughs> stupid piece of crap must be that. But that was just one of those moments that, again, it's just a lighthearted moment before you get like it ramps up to like the whole seriousness of everything. So, yeah, I think for mine, I'm gonna go with I think like. The Jawa bits in the second episode, I feel like it's especially like I think when he was assaulting the Sandcrawler, like you know, it shows what he can do. It was a nice look at like you know, we never really saw what a Sandcrawler was capable of and what you know its inner workings were. They're always kind of just stationary when we saw them in A New Hope and the other one anywhere else. Like a budget was in place. Yeah, I know. Go figure. Um, and it also kind of showed us that he's not infallible. You know, he gets to the top and he finally you know quote unquote wins. You know, but there's a dozen Jawa there, and they all blast him with their ion cans. He falls off and, you know, and well, fails ultimately. Well, I think that's the key right there to any show is that you, you, it's great to have, like, this hero that does all these amazing things, but make him flawed. Make it, nobody, nobody should be that one guy that, like, ha-ha, I'm doing yeah. everything. And, you know, like, I was uh, doing one of my usual things I like to do every year as I was watching The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. And it's funny because, like, Blondie's one of the good guys. But he still makes those weird little mistakes when he really shouldn't. And, you know, it's it's the whole culmination. Like, yeah, he's a great gunfighter, but he's still human. And there's still things that can yeah. take him out. And Yeah, and I, I think almost, you know, now that I've had a couple more sight, is it's not so much a moment, but I feel like the music is almost one of the better things to come out of as well. Like, I think, you know, Ludwig Gornson did an amazing job with it. He kept it kind of still within the realm of classical music, but also did a lot of things in there that you wouldn't necessarily expect, especially out of a Star Wars score, but it absolutely worked, and it, it 
I feel out of everybody after John Williams, you know, because we've had a few people do Star Wars scores since then. You know, I mean, there's a lot of work obviously been done. The Clone Wars show, um, you know, Solo the movie, the soundtrack for that, and Rogue One, which were fine. But I feel like this is the only one, you know, that's not a Williams work that I've I've gone back to and listened to, and you know, and I bought them all when they came out, you know, week by week. I was one of those suckers that paid whatever it was seven or eight bucks a week when they were releasing the soundtracks because they're all just amazing and just add to the atmosphere of the show itself. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that wraps up our wrap-ups right there. Anything else you want to bring up? Um, no. Good TV out there. Lots of good TV people. There is, you know, and I we're hitting that weird part now. I think it's. I think you always get some of your better TV. I was like in the early years because the summer they usually never have anything because well, you everybody's know, out doing stuff. All right, everybody's outside, less focused. So we're we're hitting the wrap up of you know and the you know starting of some of the great series out there at this point. You know, it'll be interesting to see where everything goes from here. So what's coming up? That should be that should be good. That's got some hype behind it. I haven't really been paying much attention. Mm. Anything that comes to mind? No. Yeah. We'll find out. I'm sure there's something. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm one of your hosts, Mike. I'm the other host, John. And thank you for listening. Have a good one.